When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Shares for Beginners. Weekend Watchlist. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners Weekend Watchlist, where we'll be taking a close look at an individual company, sector or ETF that you may wish to consider for your watchlist. It's not a recommendation to buy, but a way for you to learn how experts screen for value. Joining me today is Owen Raskovitz from the Rask Investments and Multimedia Conglomerate. Hello, Owen. <laughs> G'day, Phil. It's always a pleasure to be here, mate. Oh, thank you very much for coming on. Today, we're going to talk about one of your favourite ETFs, Moat. M-O-A-T from Van Eck. Can you start by explaining what is a moat in investing terms? Yeah, sure. So a moat is a thing that keeps you doing business with someone or something. So for example, everyone knows that Big Macs are the same, whether you get them in Australia or you get them in New York City or London. And that is a brand and that flavor is associated with McDonald's. So McDonald's has a moat, you could say. So its moat or its defensible position is built on flavors, on um, the design of its logo and all those types of things. But many businesses have different types of moats. That's just one example. A good one would be Amazon. Amazon has the lowest prices on almost everything in the world. And that's because it has an infinite number of aisles is the way you can think about Amazon and its warehouse. And so it can offer lower costs. It can offer lower costs than many of its competitors. So it's competitive advantage or moat, the ring around its castle that protects it against attack is its lower costs and its economies of scale. Now, if I could just get nerdy for one second, Phil, if you want a deeper explanation of what a moat is and how we've defined it as an investment industry... The way that analysts define a company's moat is they put it into terms of the return on invested capital, or ROIC, versus the cost of capital. And most people that have studied finance at uni will know that the cost of capital is often calculated as something called WAC, W-A-C-C. I won't go into the, the nitty-gritty of it, the academic literature right now, but the way you can think about it is for every dollar that you get back from a company, usually expressed in a percentage as return on invested capital, is that greater than it costs the company to get that money from you as an investor or from debt markets? So if I'm a company and I take in $100, how much return do I get for that? And how much does it cost me in interest? And basically, analysts compare those two figures, the ROIC versus the cost of capital. And if the ROIC, the return on invested capital, stays above the cost for that capital for a long enough time, it has a moat. That's the short version. This is something that's developed for many years, mostly by Warren Buffett in the early days and Ben Graham before him. But um, that's the elevator pitch for what a moat is. So that formula that you mentioned, is that indicative of how much it would be for another company to try and even start up and begin to erode the company that has the moat around it? So you could think about it that way. So... Obviously, in the early days, many companies are not profitable. So the way that we calculate ROIC, the return on invested capital, is we take basically the profit 
And we compare that against all the different funding sources within the business. So shareholder capital, if shareholders tip money in, or if the bank gives the company a loan, we compare that. And so in the beginning, most companies don't have an ROIC, or at least not a positive one. And for those of you that have small businesses, you will know that the cost of you getting a loan from the bank, so like a business loan, that's a cost of capital, that can be as high as 10%. So if you've got a loan for 10%, you need to make sure that your return from that money that you take on from the bank exceeds 10%. So in the early days, Phil, yeah, you're right. Bigger companies have lower costs of capital and greater returns on invested capital. And so that in itself is a way to protect it. And that's why on the stock market, typically you see only bigger companies, not too many really, really small companies like local bakeries and that type of thing. Because typically what would happen is those companies would have their returns eaten away very quickly by a bigger competitor that has better sources of capital. Okay, so we know what a moat is. Tell us about the moat ETF and what tickles your fancy. Yeah, sure. So the moat ETF, M-O-A-T, is basically a play on Morningstar, who is basically the pioneer of the moat rating system globally. So although I said it comes from Ben Graham, Warren Buffett, and Charlie Munger and the like, Morningstar took that view of companies, that kind of intrinsic, I guess, competitive advantage and tried to put it into some sort of metrics, like I just talked about, ROIC, and apply that to every company in the United States and throughout the world. And what they've effectively done is they've created a portfolio of companies that fall into one of three buckets. So imagine I have three buckets in front of me. The first one is companies with no moats. So companies that don't have that really strong advantage, they can't earn lots of money from the capital that they have. The second bucket is a narrow moat. So this, according to Morningstar's definition, represents companies that may have their competitive position eroded in the next, say, 10 years. So they've got an advantage for now. They can earn superior returns, but that might not last forever is what they're saying. And finally, in the best bucket, we have wide moat companies. And so the wide moats are effectively the best rating, according to Morningstar. And so what Morningstar have then done when they've teamed up with Vanek and they've provided this moat ETF, if they've said, we're going to combine companies that get a wide moat rating, so this really good rating for defense and for competitive advantage, these are strong companies. We're also going to get our analysts to put a valuation on those companies. So not only do you get the really wide moats and strong competitive position, the shares are also valued by an analyst in the United States who, you know, let's say they've got a company, let's have a look at a company in the portfolio right now. They've got Alphabet, which is the owner of Google, a company I own shares in. Alphabet is in the portfolio because it has a wide moat and because the analyst who put a valuation on it said it was undervalued. So inside this one simple ETF here in Australia, the moat ETF, you get exposure to a basket of individual shares. And these shares are, according to Morningstar's analyst team, companies with wide moats and companies with good valuations. Now, the reason that this one in particular aligns with my philosophy, I own the Moat ETF in my portfolio, by the way, but the reason why it aligns with my philosophy is that I also invest in wide moat companies. So here in Australia, I'm looking for our members to find companies that have wide moats. And so I can buy this ETF that does that for me for the United States. So it's a very easy way for me to get exposure to the United States. Of course, there are risks, Phil, as you know. Every ETF has risks. Every investment has risks. 
some of the risks of this one, and one thing that I don't like about the ETF is how quickly companies can come out of the portfolio. So I said before that they include companies based on moat rating, but also on valuation. Well, sometimes the share prices change and the valuations change, which then means when the company rebalances or when Van Eck rebalances the portfolio, some of those companies get kicked out. So Alphabet's in there today as we record this, but in a few months, they might not be. I'm not saying that's necessarily a terrible thing. It just means that you might look in there one month and there's a certain company that you like that's in the portfolio, but the next month it might be missing. And so that's just normal part of the ETF, but it, it's true to label. It does what it says on the tin. Okay. I, th- I just think it's worthwhile exploring at this point because a lot of people don't understand how ETFs are constructed, but an ETF provider creates an ETF based on an index, which is produced by someone else. And in this case, it's Morningstar. And Morningstar are the ones that have created this index. That's the way it works, isn't it? That's right. So most people think that ETFs are index funds. Now, this is where we're going to get a little bit confused with the the terminology that finance people love to apply to these things. I think it's worthwhile discussing though, because there's so many people who think that they're just going to go into an ETF and it's going to be completely safe, but they've got to know the difference between all the kinds of flavors of ETFs that are available out there. Yeah, that's right. So the way I describe an ETF is the wrapper. So think about when you get a chocolate bar from the supermarket, the wrapper around the outside is kind of the ETF. And what's inside is really whatever you're getting. So you could have a cherry ripe, you could have a Turkish delight, you could buy it into a dairy milk chocolate, you could have a rotten one for all I know. The important thing is to focus on what's inside. An ETF is basically just a mechanism to get whatever's inside of it. And what's inside of it is usually shares or bonds or even gold or many different things that are inside it and they are made up or constructed, they're chosen based on whatever rules the ETF sets out. And so in this instance, Phil, you're absolutely right. Van Eck is the company that provides the ETF for Australian investors. But the actual index and the companies that are included in that index are determined by Morningstar. So Morningstar's analysts do the research, they come up with between 40 or 50 companies for this index, and then every six months, Van Eck puts the companies that have the widest moat and the best valuation, those two things together. They get a big list out of all the companies that have both of those things and they get the top. Typically, it's the top 40 to 50 companies from that list. And then they put them in. Now, I'm going to add one more layer of complexity. What happens inside an ETF is a little bit confusing from a tax perspective. Inside an ETF, sometimes shares or bonds or whatever is inside there, that chocolate, gets bought or sold. And that creates a tax situation for the end investors like you and I, Phil. And so what ETF providers like Vanek do is they don't just say, all right, guys, on June 30th, at the end of the year, we're going to rebalance the portfolio. So on July 1, the very next day, we're going to have completely new companies inside our moat ETF. That's not what they do because that would cause a big tax issue for the investors. So what they do is they split the portfolio in two and they say half of it is going to rebalance on June 30th. The other half is going to rebalance at the end of September. So then what that creates is two portfolios that are rebalancing every six months they do it. And so that's why even though when you see some ETFs, they say we include around about 1,500 companies in our portfolio, there may not always be exactly 1,500 because they do what's called a staggered rebalance. So the easiest way to think about it is Vanek has between 40 and 50 companies in the wide moat ETF and 
you get exposure to all of those, but those may change throughout the year. And it typically stays between 40 and 50 because each of the two portfolios typically has around 40. That's a really complicated thing to, to kind of articulate, but I hope it helps. And the easiest way to find out more information is to just go to the VanEck website and see they've got white papers and those types of things. And it's also quite easy just even to ring up and have a chat with someone from the company as well, or any of the ETF providers. There's plenty of plenty of ways of getting the information. I find actually just ringing them up and talking is often the best way to find out the information straight away. Yeah, a lot of people forget that, Phil, that they can just call them and ask for a description and explainer of what the ETF does. And I think that's really important. If you can't understand it from the PDS or just from reading the website, go and give them a call. It's your money on the line. That's right. And if you don't understand it, don't invest. Absolutely. Now, this, I'm just reading about it this morning. It's an equal weighted ETF. Now, I've heard another guest describing problems with equal weighted ETFs. That means it's exactly the same percentage of the portfolio divided between all the companies in the portfolio. And um, the way he's described it is because of the nature of equal weighting, it means that if a company is going really well and starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger, it has to be sold off and then lesser valued companies are incorporated into the portfolio. Is that making sense? Have you seen this? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So that is completely true. Now, there is probably one counterpoint to that is that sometimes the smaller companies are the better ones. So there are effectively, if we get really into the weeds here, I'll try not to go too far, but there are effectively four factors that contribute to explaining how a portfolio of stocks reacts. And those factors are small versus big, otherwise known as size. So size of a company can actually explain some of the returns. The growth of a company can explain some of the returns. The momentum, so if a company's share price is going up fast, that can explain some of the returns. And then we have a few other things like value and quality. These are all different kind of factors or things that academics consider when they're predicting what an index or what an ETF might do. Now, Phil, I'd say that your guest, whoever it was, has a fair point. But what I would also say that is it really depends on the market. So here in Australia, one of the best performing ETFs over a very long time is actually an equal weight ETF. And the reason why that ETF performs so well is because in Australia, our market is both narrow and top heavy. So what I mean by that is the biggest companies in Australia are enormous, as in BHP, CSL, Combank. These are massive companies. But after the first 20 or 30 or 50 names in the Australian market, the size of the companies falls away in a very quick tail. So that means if you have, even if you have, say, like the Vanguard VAS fund, VAS, VAS, that has the top 300 companies in Australia. But if you actually look at the portfolio, most of it is in the ASX 20, or at least a lot of it is. And so what do you get in the ASX 20? Well, you get a lot of banks and a lot of mining companies. And you know something that I've always said is, if you have a mortgage in Australia, and let's say you're one of the 9% of Australians that works in the construction industry, and you've got an investment property, that's already three things before you even think about your investing that might be exposed to the banking system here in Australia. Throw in your super if you're with CBUS, and all of a sudden you have a very over exposure, heavy exposure to one sector, and that is the banking property financial sector. And so sometimes in some markets, equal weight works. I think it works for Moat because 
it does depend on valuations. So it's not so much trying to capture the biggest companies, more so the highest quality or the best companies as ranked by Moat. So this is a long-winded way to say that your guest probably has a fair point given certain types of strategies and certain types of markets, but it's not always the case. One final caveat I'll say is that equal weight strategies like Moat tend to have higher amounts of volatility because they're exposed to smaller companies. Smaller companies tend to bounce around a bit more, so therefore the portfolio tends to show higher volatility. And that's, you know, it depends on your definition of risk, but that's a fair consideration as well. Owen Rask, thank you very much for joining me today. It was a great explanation. It's really good to find out about uh, new and interesting ETFs and investments all the time. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show, Phil. I really appreciate it. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.